We had never felt more helpless than we did over the course of the past year because we had a governor who was blatantly not following the law. We had elections officials who weren't following the law. And every time we brought issues up or we would pass a resolution or a law, it would just get flat out ignored. I'm Jen O'Brien. And I'm Bill Fian. And this is another episode of Fact Check. Today we are joined by Wisconsin State Senator Pat Teston. He was re-elected to a second term in November 2020. The 24th District, if you're unfamiliar, includes parts of Monroe County, which borders La Crosse County. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Senator, you were elected to your first term in the 24th District in November of 2016. What I find really interesting about that is that Democrats held that seat since 1973, 44 years. Why do you think people elected you a Republican after all of those years? You know, I think by and large, it was the fact that we were able to make the case that it was time for new representation out of Madison. And and when I first announced back in 2016, everyone thought I didn't have a snowball's chance to ever win this district. Because as you had pointed out, this is a seat that had been in Democrat hands since 1973. In fact, the last time it was held by a Republican was in 68. That individual held it for one term and then lost to a Democrat. And it was you know, lights out ever since. But when I announced back in 16, in January 16, I got in very early in the campaign cycle and right away spent my time going door to door. And it wasn't necessarily me showing up to someone's door saying, hey, I'm Pat Teston, you should vote for me. It really was to ask the question, what's working down to Madison? What's not? What can we do better or differently? And then I also had the follow-up question, you know, have you seen or heard from your state senator recently? And after you knock on over 15,000 doors, asking that same question and overwhelming response is, no, we haven't heard or seen from our state senator recently. And uh, that's a problem. And so I think it was through hard work, determination, and wearing out the shoe leather that really we were able to resonate with people who may not always identify as a Republican or a conservative, but we were able to take those types of messages and have it relate to individuals where the light bulb kind of went off and said, you know what, you know, we can we can support this guy. And so we turned a lot of heads when we won that race in, in 2016. And And I think even more so in 2020 when we won by an even larger margin than we did four years prior. So the 24th District voted for Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012. You were elected with 52% of the vote in 2016, but last year you earned 56% of the vote. How do you explain this swing? It's really a huge swing from supporting a Democrat to supporting a Republican. I think... What we saw was a real shift because people kind of woke up to the fact that today's Democratic Party isn't the Democratic Party of FDR, JFK. And what's funny about that, I can remember having conversations with people um, in 2012, and we talk about the issues. And we would agree on seven out of 10 issues. And then the last question they'd always ask, well, what party are you? And I'd say, I'm a Republican, aren't you? We agree on most everything. They say, no, we're Democrats. And the door gets shut in your face. But then I'd go back four years later, have the same conversations with those individuals, and they identified as Republicans. They woke up. They realized that the Democratic Party has moved so far to the left that it's forgotten the middle. And I think that's where we've been really successful, not just in my district, but in legislative districts all across the state that historically would never have chosen a Republican, but really have woken up in recent years. What are the issues that are most important to your voters right now? Probably the biggest issue 
is getting people back to work. I can't tell you how many phone calls I've taken in just the last uh, month or so of business owners who are desperate to try and open things back up to 100%, but they're calling their employees back. And unfortunately, with this extra federal money that's coming down, the 300 a week to stay home and not work, it's it's killing businesses. I think that's the number one issue that we're facing right now. And we are very fortunate and lucky in this state that we have weathered this pandemic much better than our neighbors to the south or even to the west of us. Our unemployment numbers are right where they were prior to the pandemic really taking its hold on the state. And so I think there's a strong case to be made that we can do things safely. We need to open back up and get people back to work. Senator, is this something that Governor Evers could just unilaterally decide he has control over these federal stimulus dollars can he decide to stop these extra payments or does it require legislation as well what's interesting when we talk about governor evers is that oftentimes when he has the ability or the power to do something he throws up his hands and says i can't do that and then uses it as an opportunity to uh, you know, throw a curveball past us and say it's our fault. But then in areas where he doesn't have the authority, for instance, when he shut down the state illegally for two and a half months or uh, his illegal emergency orders, he claims he does have the authority when he doesn't. So it's a very disjointed message that we're getting from the Evers administration. And I would hope that based on what we're hearing in the legislature, I would assume or at least hope these same individuals are contacting the governor saying, please stop. We don't need this extra 300. Let's get people back to work where they can earn a paycheck and support themselves. That seems reasonable. Many people are very concerned about the integrity of our elections in Wisconsin. What do you think are the most important changes needed in our state election laws right now? Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a great question, Bill. I know this is one that you've had a, a lot of time and energy invested in with the with your court cases that you've tried to get through and we know there were issues with the 2020 election and um, things like the indefinitely confined voter registration status so prior to last year we only had 57,000 people listed as indefinitely confined and for those who don't know what that is this is a special registration status that's typically used for the infirmed who aren't able to get out and go vote but unfortunately, this was widely abused in, in 2020 to the point where we had over 216,000 individuals listed as indefinitely confined. In fact, one of my former legislative colleagues, Senator Schachner, who used to represent the 10th Senate District, her and her husband were listed as indefinitely confined, despite the fact that she was up for re-election, she was out campaigning. Um, so it was widely abused. That needs to get changed. The fact that the Wisconsin's Elections Commission was providing guidance to all these clerks that didn't follow state statute. So we need to be much more prescriptive in our state election laws, getting rid of things like the democracy, vote in the park events that took place in Madison and Milwaukee and other uh, strong Democrat liberal communities. So there are about a dozen bills that are working their way through the process right now to ensure that we have integrity when people go vote, and people can actually track that at elections.wissengop.com, and they can stay up to date on where the bills are in the process. And we intend to get these to the governor's desk and make him answer to every single Wisconsinite as to whether or not he believes in election integrity. Can you just explain a little bit about democracy in the park? That's something that I believe primarily happened in Dane County. 
but some of our listeners may not be familiar with that, what that was all about. Yeah, so essentially what these events were, they were held in very uh, liberal communities, and essentially you had these organizations that were very far left of center going into these communities and having people drop their ballots off to these individuals who aren't clerks, who aren't voting deputies, to then have them go turn those into the clerk. So, you know, it's really it was really about them turning out their base as much as possible in the bluest of blue areas in the state. And really, it puts other communities at an unfair disadvantage. There should be uniformity in the process. There should be uniformity. And when you go vote, it shouldn't matter if you live in uh, the town of Hull, where I live, or in the city of Milwaukee. There should be uniformity throughout the entire process. And unfortunately, uh, these events, they were a gross violation of state law. And in fact, when we got word about them, immediately our attorney sent cease and desist letters to uh, the officials within those communities saying this is a violation of law. However, uh, the DA in those counties basically turned a blind eye, which is another issue that needs to be addressed, is that when issues like these come up, we can pass all the laws in the world in the legislature, but we need an executive branch that will go out and execute the laws when they're being violated, which we haven't had in Josh Call and, and uh, this, this governor's administration. That's a really good point because I believe that the law is clear, especially as it pertains to the governor's emergency powers. And when when the governor or election officials choose to ignore the law, we depend on our district attorneys or our attorney general for Wisconsin to prosecute people when they violate those laws. And from where I'm sitting, that's something that failed to happen on numerous occasions last year. And if I recollect the governor was brought to court four times, and four times he lost before the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Is that accurate? Yeah, that is accurate. I mean, every time we have taken this governor to court, he has lost, which I would hope you would see the right on the wall, and maybe he would hire a better uh, legal counsel, but, you know, that's that's his issue. But on on a more serious note, this past year has really been eye-opening, and it's been alarming to a, a huge extent because as a legislator, as someone who should be a co-equal branch of government, and I, I can, know I can speak for a number of my colleagues, we had never felt more helpless than we did over the course of the past year because we had a governor who was blatantly not following the law. We had elections officials who weren't following the law. And every time we brought issues up or we would pass a resolution or a law, it would just get flat out ignored. And so I do think there's a strong case to be made not just in the state of Wisconsin, but in legislatures all across the country, that the legislative branch needs to exert its authority and get us back to an equal footing. I, I think right now, if you were to put the legislative branch and the executive branch on a scale, it's it's not even going to be equal by, by any means. The executive branch is going to far outweigh the legislative branch. And that's why I think it was critical back in 2018 during our extraordinary session where we took some steps to retake some authority, but yet it's clear I don't think any of us had the foresight of knowing what was going to happen in 2020 and the extent to which executive power is going to be used and abused. And it's alarming, the fact that people's constitutional rights were essentially put on the back burner, all in the name and interest of public health. Earlier, you mentioned my lawsuit against the governor and the Elections Commission. And an important aspect of that is what you talked about earlier the indefinitely confined elector status, a status that was 
included in the law for people who truly are unable to go to the polls and vote. And as you mentioned, over 200,000 people voted this way. The really important aspect of that is these people never provided any identification when they voted. And so I do think that's a really important aspect of what has happened. And I know that some of the legislation you and your colleagues are working on is meant to address this. So how soon will we see a bill that's aimed at trying to narrow down how many people use this status? Yeah, we're, I think we're really close. So we're, we're very fortunate in the Senate. We have three wonderful senators who are doing a, the Lord's work on, on these issues. Senator Strobel, Senator Darlin, and Senator Bernier, who chairs the Elections Commission. And so there's been a lot of ongoing dialogue between um, those authors on trying to tweak and fine-tune this language that we can make it workable for clerks and making sure that we have these safeguards put in place. Because, yeah, when you go from 57,000 indefinitely confined voters to over 200,000, that should raise eyebrows. And on top of that, given the fact that they can skirt the voter ID laws, um, the other issue at play here is the fact that our own Wisconsin Elections Commission, they weren't able to actually clean our voter rolls, which is outlined in state statute. So we had over 100,000 individuals that were listed as no longer as residents of the state of Wisconsin that should have been removed prior to the 2020 elections, but they weren't because our elections commission is gridlocked, three Republican appointees, three Democrat appointees. You could probably guess which ones wanted to clean the voter rolls and which ones didn't. And so, um, you know, that, that plays into that with the indefinitely confined voter registration status. So, you know, I, I'm hopeful here. I, if I had to venture a guess by next month, I would say most, if not all, of these bills will be on the governor's desk. Changing the subject, recently you authored a bill that would require the national anthem at events in public arenas. Can you tell us, why do you think this is important to Wisconsin? I think this is critically important to the state, not only just the state, but this nation, because unfortunately in recent years we have seen symbols of our country, like our flag, like our anthem, have been uh, targets of individuals who would prefer that we just erase our history and our national identity. And what really was the boiling point for me was when the news came out that Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, just stopped playing the anthem at home games. And there was tremendous outcry over that. And the NBA came in and said, you know what, no, you're going to play the anthem, which great news. But then it got me thinking, how could we prevent an issue like this from coming to the state of Wisconsin? And it dawned on me that if individuals who pay for taxpayer-funded arenas want to pay respect to our flag and to our men and women who serve, they should have every opportunity to do so. And so we authored the bill. It's simple. It's straightforward that for any taxpayer-funded venue where a sporting event is going to be held, before that event takes place, you play the anthem. And it doesn't mandate that anyone has to participate. It doesn't mandate that players have to be on the court or on the field. But it just gives that option, that ability for people to pay their respects. Because I I do think there are some requirements that are within reason. Anytime taxpayer dollars are are being used, that there should be some expectations when you receive those dollars. And I think this should be one of them. Well, I don't think that people understand what it really means to be a United States citizen and how great our nation is. And we've forgotten what that's all about and why it's so important to recognize it. And so there really is a battle for the soul of America that's taking place right now. 
and it's very disturbing to me. I'm sure many people will appreciate the fact that we're trying to preserve one of the symbols that unites us as a people. We actually have a petition in support of the Star Spangled Banner Act on my website at senatorteston.com. They can go fill out the petition. We intend to give hopefully a huge stack of papers to the governor to show that Wisconsinites overwhelmingly support this. You can follow us on social media. And really, I just want to echo one last thing before we leave here is that the, this whole this bill is aimed to restore our common denominator, that while we can have differences of opinion, Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, at the end of the day, the one thing that we all share in common is that we are Americans, and we should be proud of that fact. Senator, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Your election to the 24th Senate District, to me, is indicative of what's happening across our state in rural areas. People who may have been Democrat voters for most of their life are looking at the issues and the values that they hold dear, and they see a Democrat party that's leaving them behind. I think it's common sense that we'd stop sending extra money to people to give them an incentive to stay at home. And people all across Wisconsin want to know that our elections are secure. We thank you and your colleagues for your work on those issues. Thanks for being a guest on Fact Check. Thanks for having me. I'm Jen O'Brien. And I'm Bill Fian. Thanks for listening to Fact Check. We discuss issues that are important in the La Crosse area, regionally, statewide, and nationally as it relates to us. You can subscribe to Fact Check everywhere you listen to podcasts or listen at WIZMnews.com or on the Wisdom News app.